simply make every effort. And it is my prayer that we would make effort today in our faith and the things that matter the most, that we would be more and more like Jesus this year than we were last year. That would be a good thing, would it not? It would be good for all of us to be more like Jesus. And so let's pursue transformation together. And so the roadmap for where we're going today, I'm going to try to keep up with my own slides and see if I can do that justice today. Um, And so where we're going today is we're going to see four things, four sections in this text The first one is the foundation of a transformed life. Then we're going to look at the expected fruit of a transformed life. And then we'll see the evidence of a transformed life. And then finally, we will see some reminders from Peter of a transformed life. So again, if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's read, uh, follow along with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. His, excuse me, I'm going to start in verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, as we begin to unpack this text today, I pray first and foremost, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit's power, uh, he would be the teacher today, that he would guide us, counsel us, and instruct us in the things that your word have said, that you would apply the truths to our heart and to our mind, and that we would live them faithfully and put them into practice, that we would be transformative in our lives today. I pray that you would bless this congregation and this body by your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we want to look at is the foundation of a transformed life. 
the foundation of a transformed life. We see this in verses 3 and 4. And we see that the foundation of a transformed life really isn't about us at all. It says, His divine power, which is a reference to the Father. And His divine power has initiated a lot of incredible things in our life. Two times in these few verses here in 3 and 4, we see the phrase, has granted to us. And we've been granted two things. We see that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. And how is, how is that? Well, it says, through our knowledge of God the Father. Secondly, we have been granted or given God's very great and precious promises. And why? Why has He given us those things? He's given us those things so that we could become partakers of the divine nature, being transformed more into the likeness of His Son. We also see in verse 3 that Him who called us, and He has called us to His own glory and excellence. So being called by Him to experience His glory, His excellence, being brought into harmony with the Father through the Son, We've been saved by the power of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This echoes back even to verse 1 when Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the result of all this is that, that we have been recipients of grace. God has initiated a glorious act of redemption in our lives and we have become partakers of the divine nature. And so three things that I just want to point out to you uh, that relates to the Christian life in terms of this is number one is that we have escaped the penalty of sin. The Bible calls that justification. Jesus dying in your place on the cross for your sins, making atonement, satisfying the wrath of God for your sin and mine. Therefore, we are justified in God's sight because of the work of the Son. And so you have escaped the penalty of sin, and we praise God for that. Amen? Secondly, we see we are currently or ongoing escaping the power of sin. Now, you and I both know that we sin very often, and so that is not a completely done work yet, but that's what sanctification is, the ongoing removal of the power of sin in our life as we surrender to the work of the Spirit and as we live in alignment with His will and His purposes and His Word. But the greatest hope of all is that there will be one day where we will completely escape the presence of sin as we are with the Lord in a glorified body in the new heaven and the new earth. And so I want to encourage you with those truths today, and that leads me to truth point number one, is that the foundation of a transformed life is all about what God has initiated, what God has accomplished, and what God has promised to bring to completion. I hope that that brings you great encouragement this morning, is that your transformation does not rest on you working harder. Your transformation does not rest on you laboring and toiling in, in fear and in agony or guilt and shame. The transformation that is available to you by the power of the Spirit is only possible because of the work of the Son and by the choosing of the Father to bring you into His good family. And so there isn't one moment in your life that hasn't passed through the hands of God first, and that also should bring you encouragement today. I know that some of you may be going through difficult times, and some of you might be going through celebratory times, and all of that comes through the hands of God first. But I also want you to think about this for a second, that you have been chosen by the Father. 
Ephesians 1, 4 says that he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be adopted into his family. So we've been chosen by the Father. We've also been purchased by the Son. Ephesians 1, 7 says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And we've also then been empowered and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says that we've been sealed with His Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so if you are a believer in this room today, the triune God has been very much involved in your life from beginning to end, has been, and always will be. And so the foundation of a transformed life is really all about God. It's all about what He's doing to take the initiative to choose us, to adopt us, to redeem us, to empower us, to transform us, and one day to bring us into eternal glory into His kingdom. Does that encourage you this morning? I hope that it does. I don't know about you, but I long for the day that, the, that this body fades away and that the eternal life begins. But while we're here, Peter also says, let's, let's focus as well on transformation. And so in verse 5, Peter says, for this reason, make every effort. Make every effort to do what? Well, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. To supplement just literally means to add to. And so we're going to add to our faith while we're here. And Peter makes a case that there should be some expected fruit that you ought to see. As a person is growing in the faith, there should be fruit, right? We're probably familiar with that concept. Healthy things grow. Healthy things reproduce. And the fruit that we bear is often for other people's benefit. And so as we look at verses 5 through 7, uh, we're going to see the expected fruit of a transformed life. So make every effort. Um, so the, even just the very concept that there should be fruit in our life leads me to another truth point this morning is that spiritual growth is not automatic, nor is it passive. It is an intentional and a daily choice. We don't just wake up 50 years from now and we are just incredibly mature. How many of you wish that was the case? Oh, I know I do. It's all right. The rest of you, let's be a little bit more honest. We all wish we'd just wake up tomorrow and be the most mature version of ourselves. It takes time. It takes laboring in prayer. It takes diligence to the Word. It takes community, accountability, encouragement. It takes all sorts of things over a long period of time. And it ultimately requires cooperation with the Holy Spirit an intentional application of the spiritual truths that we learn and that we know. But church, I want to encourage you that be reminded that the goal and the, the, the purpose of our life is not just to come to church. You were not saved for the sidelines. You were saved to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And as you are, you will be put into the game, so to speak, in many various ways as the Spirit leads you to impact others and to serve His kingdom. And so spiritual growth is an expected biblical outcome. It's something that should be in the normative life of the believer, and we all have areas to grow. I know I have many areas left still to grow in in many ways. Now, I want to make a note here, uh, because I'm a guest preacher, and just want to make sure I'm very clear. Um, when Peter says, make every effort, sometimes that word makes people nervous. Make an effort. I have to work for my faith. I have to work for my salvation. So I want to be very clear that effort is completely different than earning there is no way, there is no biblical way that you could ever earn your salvation. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? And so salvation cannot be earned, 
But the effort that Peter is talking about now is in the sanctification phase of our life. Salvation has already been accomplished through the work of the Son. Now that we live in sanctification, I call that phase two, that's where we are cooperating with the Spirit and living in alignment with the Word. And so just to be clear, there is nothing that you're doing to earn anything, but you are making an effort. And so God's plan for you is not opposed to your effort, but let's not confuse it with earning. And so Peter says then to supplement your faith, and then he lists seven things, seven characteristics of what we need to be adding or supplementing our faith to. And again, just the very nature of these seven things should remind us that once we get saved, there should be things we should be thinking about in terms of our growth. So number one, we see virtue. Virtue. Now this is a word that basically just means excellence of character. And you are probably familiar with what the word character means. I often think of it as a a way that what, who you are when no one's looking, who you are when no one's watching, who you are when you're alone by yourself, what sort of things do you do, what kind of person are you, and you display a godly character, a righteous character, things that Jesus would not be ashamed of if He saw you doing them. Do you have a character like that in all situations that's consistent across the board, whether you're in private or in public? The second virtue would be knowledge. Now, knowledge, there's, there's a, a little bit we're going to talk about here because the Greek word here is epignosis, which is not just the word that means data or facts or just knowing stuff. It's not just cognitive data in your head. This word actually means practical knowledge that is gained through firsthand experience, right? This is the difference between saying, I know what it means to mow the lawn versus I actually know how to mow the lawn, Right? If someone said, tell me how to mow the lawn, you could say, well, you know, you have to get a lawnmower, and you have to put gas in it, and then you have to maybe squeeze some things and pull some things, push some things, and eventually if you run that mower around long enough that you will cut the grass. Now, me just telling you that, does that demonstrate to you that I even know how to mow? Not really. That's knowledge. But experience gained through actual doing, I would tell you all the nuances of mowing the lawn of blade height or different kinds of gasoline, or different ways you could cut the grass for different patterns and all sorts of different things, or things I've learned and things I've done wrong. There is an experience that comes from practical knowledge that's not just up here. And this is what Peter's talking about. It's also the difference between saying, I know you. I know about you, or do I actually know you? Do I know my wife, or do I just know about her? That's the difference Peter's talking about. It's not just knowing about. It's actually knowing. And so, for you, are you growing in your ability to practically apply the biblical truth that you already know? If you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard a lot of sermons. You've probably gained a lot of truth. But my question for you is not what all do you know, but what all do you live of what you know? And one author has said it this way. He says, to know and to not do is to not actually know at all. And the Bible was not written to make you and I a smarter sinner. The Bible was written to transform our lives. Amen? We were made to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And so I say it this way, knowledge plus application equals transformation. Knowledge plus application equals transformation. Right thinking typically leads to right living, but we have to apply that thinking 
And so that's what Peter is talking about here. Add to your faith a practical knowledge of the truth that impacts your day-to-day walk with Jesus and others. Number three, we see the, virtue, or the third quality is self-control. Are you growing in the ability to govern your thoughts, your words, and your actions? Now, this one's hard for me. There's so many areas that my life, my family, my church would be better if I was more self-controlled. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. So the Bible makes a strong case that self-control is very, very valuable. Of course, we also know from Galatians 5 that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. So are you a person that can govern your mind? your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, in a way, again, that is godly and that honors Christ. Peter says, add that to your faith. Number four, steadfastness. This has the idea of a patient endurance. It's the idea of being consistent, being faithful, staying the course even when it's hard or difficult or challenging, or maybe the future is unknown in some way. And also, the steadfastness is grounded in our focus on Jesus Christ. Our steadfastness is not grounded in our circumstances, but in a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. Are you a person that's growing in your ability to patiently endure hard things with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith? And fifth, the fifth characteristic is godliness. And this literally means God-likeness. Now again, we are not going to be like God in a divine sense, But again, this has to do with the transformation or the conformity to the likeness of Christ. Are we righteous in what we do? Are we growing in personal holiness? Are we displaying the character of Jesus? Peter says, add that to your faith. Grow through the spiritual disciplines and let God's character be developed in you. Number six is brotherly affection. This comes from the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. So this is the idea that do you relate to others in a loving way, caring for others, even if they're not your actual family, can you care for them as if you are truly spiritual family and caring for them with love, care, and compassion, empathy? Are you growing in your ability to love others the way that Christ loved others? And lastly, love. Again, this is the Greek word agape, which is a different kind of love. This is a sacrificial love. And I don't know about you, but I find this one of the most challenging aspects of the Christian life is loving others in a selfless, sacrificial way. I find that challenging because I don't know about you, but I'm very selfish. And I like what I like, and I want what I want, and I want it now. You don't have to raise your hand, but can you relate with that? Anybody else in the room selfish? Yeah. I find that challenging as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a person with a neighbor next door to me, it's hard to be selfless and sacrificial sometimes. And so this is an encouragement for us to love others the way that God has loved us, unconditionally, with purposefulness, with intent, with kindness, with sacrifice. And so how are you doing in that area of your faith? Are you growing in your love, in your care, in your concern for those who are in this body, those who are far from God in your community, those who live next door to you who maybe have never heard the name of Jesus, those children or grandchildren in your homes who don't know Jesus yet, are they being loved 
towards Christ. So these are the seven qualities that Peter says to add to your faith. He says, make an effort. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know your spiritual walk. But as you see these seven qualities up here, I want you to take just one second and look at them and ask yourself and ask the Spirit, what is an area that I can make more effort in in the coming year? And how can I ground myself in God's Word so that I pursue effort and pursue growth in a godly, scriptural way? And I'm sure if you have questions about how to do that and what that looks like, there's pastors and elders here that would love to walk with you in some of those things, I'm sure. So let's be confident, though, as we're growing spiritually. In verses 8 through 11, um, give us the evidence of a transformed life. And so as we're making an effort, as we're growing in these things, here's what we should expect to see. Here's what another outcome should be as we're growing in the faith. In verses 8 through 11, uh, Peter gives us three different evidences. In the first one, he says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so evidence number one is fruitfulness. If you are a person growing in your faith, being transformed in the likeness of Christ, one of the things that we should expect to see in our lives is fruitfulness. Peter says, he uses an if-then statement. He says, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective. And so that we see the reality that we must possess these qualities, but we must also progress in these qualities. You see that? If these are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So as you grow in these qualities and as you make progress in becoming more like Jesus in these qualities, you will have a fruitful life because you will be displaying more and more of the character of Christ. And again, Peter says, why is this so important? He says, well, it'll keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you want to live an ineffective and unfruitful life? Nobody. We want to be effective in our walk. We want to be effective in our, in our churches. We want to be effective in the things that matter the most, right? We want to do and live in a way that makes a positive impact for Christ for eternity. And so this leads us to truth point number three, is that true fruitfulness is Christ-likeness. We're not talking about building bigger buildings. We're not talking about raising tons of money here. We're not talking about having the biggest business in town. We're not talking about having the nicest house, the nicest car, the, the best kids, all these types of things. That's not really success for the Christian. Those might be things that you have that God gives you to use as a steward for your community and your, for your life. Praise God. But true success, true fruitfulness is Christ-likeness. Amen? To be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the goal, and those are the qualities that we must pursue. And so if you feel ineffective or unfruitful, I just want to encourage you to, to run to Jesus. I want to encourage you to abide in Him. John 15 is a great passage that maybe you would want to read this week. All about Jesus talking about what it means to abide and to remain in Him and what fruitfulness actually looks like. And fruitfulness never happens apart from an intimate connection to Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 15, 5, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. Just let that soak in for a second. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. That should sober all of us today. I would imagine most of us are very competent, very intelligent, very capable people in many areas. But apart from an intimate abiding in Jesus Christ, in this kind of a way, we can't do anything. It is only through the power of the Spirit, through abiding in Christ, in alignment with His Word, that we actually, our people can actually grow into these areas to make an actual impact that matters for eternity. So by His sustaining grace, we can be fruitful, effective disciples. The second evidence that I think we see in this passage is proper vision. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So evidence number two is proper vision. Now, it says that, Peter says that if you don't, if you lack these qualities, you're blind. Blind to what? I think what Peter means is that you would be blind toward a proper and a clear vision of the Christian life that assumes that transformation and fruitfulness are expected as the norm. I don't know about you, but growing up, I came to understand that the goal of the Christian life was simply to go to heaven. And I'm here to, to, to plead with you that that is, that is a benefit of the gospel. If you are saved, you have an eternal destiny in a home. That is true, praise God. But that is not the goal of your salvation. The goal of your salvation is to be primarily transformed into the image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so the primary goal of the Christian life is not heaven, it's sanctification. And that might be a new concept for some of you, that might be even challenging for some of you, but Romans 8.29 says this, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, that means molded, to be conformed or molded to the image or to the likeness of His Son. So literally, that is your destiny, to be predestined, to be conformed, to be molded into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what a Christian is, right? It's a little Christ. We are disciples. We are supposed to be like our Savior. And so that is the goal of our Christian life. Because listen, if, if the goal was to just simply go to heaven immediately, then why haven't we just been beamed right up the moment we come to Christ? Why has He left us down here if the goal is heaven? Heaven will be a great benefit. We all look forward to that day, amen? But while we're here, the goal is actually that we would move more and more and more from immaturity to maturity in Christ. And as we do that, we become mature instruments in His hands to do His will, to do His work, to advance His kingdom, and to make disciples of all nations. So that is the primary reason you and I are still here, is to grow into maturity, to be more effective for His kingdom. And this leads me to truth point number four. All Christians are destined to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Therefore, all Christians must understand, embrace, and surrender to the transforming work of the Spirit. Here's the hard part, daily. Very challenging. So part of our sanctification, hopefully, is an ever-increasing appetite for the things of the Lord and the things that the Lord loves. And so let me ask you, do you have an appetite and a vision to die to yourself every day, 
to serve your family? Do you have an appetite and a vision for engaging the lost in sharing the gospel and making disciples? Do you have a vision and an appetite for this church here in Sioux Center to make an impact in your community? Do you have a vision and an appetite to not be spiritually nearsighted, but to have a bigger vision of what God is doing in your life and in your community and your family that's, that's beyond your life? I want to encourage you um, to embrace this vision from Peter, to make every effort to grow in these things, to experience transformation this year, and by His sustaining grace, we can have proper vision. And this leads us then to the third evidence. Looks like I'm behind. Oh, here we go. Security. Verse 10, we see that he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your election and calling, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So, verse 10, he says, therefore. So, therefore is always pointing backwards to what he's just said. In light of what he's just said about proper vision and about fruitfulness, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm, not to gain, not to earn, but to confirm that your calling, your election. And so, believers, we have this assurance that Jesus has said this in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I give, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. So, church, if you are in Christ, you are secure in Christ. Amen? So, we are saints that still stumble. I used to refer to myself as a sinner, and I've come to understand that's probably not the most helpful for my psyche and for what's actually true of me. I am a saint, not because of what I have done. I am a saint by the merits of Christ alone, but I am a saint that still sins. There's a difference between me saying I'm a sinner that still sins. Do you guys see that? So you are saints if you are in Christ, and that's because Christ has merited that work and has imparted that to you through His death and resurrection. So we are saints and we still stumble, but we are making every effort to grow into these areas. And so Peter says that if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And I also want to remind you what we saw in verse 8. He says, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, and then he adds the third dynamic here, then if we practice them. So if we are possessing these qualities, we progress in these qualities, and we must practice these qualities. So think about those seven qualities today. Do you possess them? Do I have self-control? Do I have brotherly affection? Do I have godliness and love and virtue and knowledge? Am I progressing in them in some way? Do I see evidence of growth? And furthermore, how am I practicing those things? Am I a part of a small group where I'm practicing love? Am I a part of an outreach ministry where I'm sharing the gospel? Am I part of a disciple-making ministry in my home? Whatever those things might be for you, are, are you practicing these things? And if not, find ways this year to make those a part of your, your daily or weekly routine. You know, how many of you have heard the phrase, practice makes perfect? How many of you heard that phrase, right? I don't know why we say that phrase. That makes no sense. Has anyone actually perfected anything? Ah, not that I'm aware of. So I'd rather say practice makes progress, right? Practice makes progress. And so this leads me to truth point number five. Practice doesn't make perfect perfect. 
Practicing these qualities simply reveals our authenticity and our genuineness of faith as we seek to make every effort and as the Holy Spirit completes the work that He started in you. The goal is to make progress. The goal is to practice. The goal is to grow. The goal is not perfection. You and I can't attain that. Jesus already did. He attained it all for you, so you're off the hook, okay? All the perfectionists in the room, it's okay. Jesus did it. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what Peter is telling us as well. Make every effort. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Strive to grow, to be more like Jesus. Let me, let me just encourage you again. As you go out to Sioux Center and all the places God has sovereignly placed you, the more like Jesus you are, the more impact you will have. Do you agree? So your impact on this community and the world is directly tied to your intimacy with Jesus. The more like Him you are, the more like Him they will see, and they will want Him as well. Truth point number six, our divine calling and election must never be an excuse for spiritual apathy or laziness. Um, This one might be kind of hard to swallow, but it's true. We were not saved, again, just to be shelved. We were saved for a purpose. The Great Commission is one of them. There's many other purposes, but transformation. And so if you are a Christian, you have room to grow. I know that when I became a Christian at 18, I had so many areas that were a mess that I have needed to grow in, and by God's grace, I have grown. But I, you ask my wife, ask people who know me, I have about this much more still to grow in so many ways. It never ends. But by God's grace, I have grown. And so what about you? Since you became a Christian, what kind of maturity have you experienced? Are you more like Christ today than you were when you came to Christ? What areas do you see ongoing growth? Be diligent, Peter says. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And then verse 11, he says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance or an entrance into our eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we keep our eyes fixed on the ultimate hope that our inheritance is secure in Christ and that one day we will enter his kingdom. And then verse 12 through 15, we see Peter's kind of closing remarks where we see reminders of a tra- for a transformed life. I like how Peter says multiple times from 12 to 15, he uses the word remind or stir up three different times, and he wants to remind the believers about these truths. And this leads me to truth point number seven, is that you never outgrow your need for being reminded of the truth of Scripture. Again, I grew up in the church. Many of you might have grown up in church as well. Some of this you might be going, yeah, I've heard this before. (laughs) But you never outgrow your need to hear it again. Amen? The Bible is living and active. It's true. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for all seasons and all things. So you never should outgrow your desire to consume God's Word, to sit under the authority of the teaching of God's Word, and to live in practical application of God's Word. And at the end of his life, Peter's sitting in a jail cell writing to believers, and this was what was on his mind. 
I want to remind you. I want to stir you up. He's like, I think it wise. As long as I'm in this body, I want to remind you to keep doing these things. And I love that at the very end of it, I think it's in verse 15, Peter says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able and at any time to recall these things. So notice that Peter's not asking them to do something he wasn't already doing and willing to do himself. Peter says, make every effort to add this to your faith. And then he closes this section and says, I will make every effort to remind you and to stir you up. And I think that's a beautiful reminder. To make every effort. So church, uh, our life begins with saving faith, but that's not the end, that's just the beginning. And the rest of it is it's sanctification, it's growing in transformation. And so, a final word as we begin to wrap up here today. Because of the gospel, transformation in you and me is possible. And again, that transformation is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He empowers you to live this new life. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot change yourself by willpower. But His power through you as you live in alignment with His purposes and His plans and His design, He will change you and transform you. Transformation in Christ leads to joy. It leads to life. It leads to service. It leads to fruitfulness. So again, which of the seven qualities today do you want to prayerfully examine this year and ask the Holy Spirit for further sanctification? Was it virtue? Is it knowledge? Is it steadfastness? Is it self-control? Is it godliness? Is it brotherly affection? Or is it love? See, transformed Christians are very imperfect people, but we possess a very confident assurance in our entrance in the kingdom of God because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So his effort, Jesus' effort has earned your salvation. Our effort impacts our sanctification. So if you don't know, if you're sitting here today, and I don't know, again, I don't know anybody really, but I don't know where you're at with Jesus today. And so if you don't know or have any confidence that you will enter God's kingdom someday when you pass from this life, I want to encourage you to listen closely how you can be made right with God today. It's simple, yet it's profoundly impactful. Admit, believe, and confess. First of all, if you are not a believer today, my encouragement for you is to embrace and to admit that you are in rebellion against the creator of the universe and that you have broken his law and that you have rejected his truth. To acknowledge that you have sinned against a perfect God and to acknowledge that you are a sinner that needs forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this room that hasn't fallen short. So you're an equal playing field today. There's no one in this room that hasn't sinned. But to admit that, and then to secondly believe, believe that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die for all of your sins, past, present, and future. All of them. And to believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins and rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, and possessing all power and authority to forgive sin. And to believe that he is now seated at the right hand of God and he rules and reigns with power and he will judge all people at one point in time again. So Romans 3, 24 and 25 says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And three, to confess 
to confess that you will surrender your entire life to Jesus, to confess that He is Lord and that you will serve Him, obey Him, and honor Him as the master of your life, that you will let Him call all the shots in your life. Luke 9, 23 through 26, Jesus says this. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. And so my encouragement for you today, if you don't know Jesus, acknowledge and admit that you've sinned against him but also to believe that He died for you in your place to forgive you of your sins, to make you right with the Father, to reconcile you back to Him, to give you a right relationship with Him through faith by grace alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it, but to come to Him in repentance and faith and to confess that He will be your Lord. If you want to do that today, I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm sure some of the elders would as well, but please don't leave here if you are not sure of your eternal destiny. It's the most important thing in, the, in life. For the rest of us, I want to encourage you to continue to make every effort to follow Jesus this year. It's a daily process. We're imperfect. We stumble. But by His grace, we are empowered to live the transformed life. You can do it by His grace. Um, And so I'm thankful that we get to look at this text today to make every effort. And it's my prayer for us that we all would be more like Jesus in 2023. Amen? Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us your revelation to even know what it means to live life as a Christian. You have not left us without instruction. You have not left us in the dark. And so, Father, as you have revealed your word to us very clearly, I pray that we would be obedient to apply what we have heard today, that we would put into action the truths that Peter has outlined, that we would examine our life in light of Scripture, and in prayerful submission to your Spirit would we walk in transformation. Holy Spirit, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. We desperately need your help. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, this week, this month, and this year. For those who don't know you, Father, I pray that you would stir in them, that you would open their spiritual eyes to see their need for Jesus. And I pray that you'd move them to take action on that today as well, that you would save them, redeem them, and bring them into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.